I did that one time. So, oh, hey, by the way, we're sitting here with Hannah Cox from our one of our, well, a couple of our favorite things, Foundation for Economic Education, fee.org. You guys hear us uh, talking about articles from that all the time. And then also you've heard us talking about Based Politics. That is a podcast that everyone needs to check out. And it's based-politics.com, right? Is the website. Yeah, that's right. The website's based-politics.com. And it's kind of our content creation hub, right? We know that everything's going towards individual journalism and we think that's good. People trust individuals more and for good reason. Uh, but we needed a place for all that to live, all the content that we're making to make sure that, you know, Brad and I are both pretty... Um, we, we moderate ourselves online. We're not we're not flamethrowers, but you just never know if you're going to get kicked off and tomorrow your following's gone. So we wanted to create a space where all of our content could live, where we could create more content, where other content creators in our network could come and, and uh, work on educational pieces that move the needle. So base-politics.com is the website and hub, and then you can find the podcast on all podcast platforms under Base Politics. Now, what's it like working with Brad? I mean, we won't tell anyone. Is it? Um, <laughs> you want the tea? Yeah. yeah. Spill the tea on yeah. this, as they say. <laughs> Brad's actually my favorite work husband I've ever had. <laughs> and it's so funny because a lot of, actually last night someone was telling me their sister discovered the podcast and they were like, let us know if Hannah and Brad break up, wink, wink. And she was like, they were like, oh, sweetie, <laughs> good and bad news for you. Yeah. <laughs> Hannah and Brad are not dating, but Brad will not be into you. <laughs> um, no, he's really great. Brad is, um, Brad is an incredibly supportive colleague and just participant in this movement. I've never met somebody who is, he's not territorial at all. He's, he's really about like getting things done and actual outcomes. And so a lot of people I've noticed in just this kind of work in general, there's a lot of competitiveness and a lot of like territorial kind of behavior where you're kind of worried if somebody else is getting ahead, you're falling behind. Brad's the opposite of that. From the very first minute I met him, he's like, how can I elevate you? How can I promote your brand? Like, what can I do to make sure that you're getting opportunities? He's very like, he shares everything he gets with me. Like if he a new contact or a new placement. He's like, let me see if I can get hand on this too. And so we have this kind of relationship where um, we really do share everything. And, and we believe strongly that like it lifts both boats, right? I don't ever lose followers or lose any kind of um, momentum because Brad's also gaining. And so he's really kind of taught me that. He's 10 years younger than me. So he's well ahead of his time uh, as an individual and just really incredibly talented, uh, has an incredible work ethic. He, he keeps me on my toes. There's kind of this element of like, I can't slack and I'm not a slacker, I'm a hard worker, but like, I can't even like give myself an inch because Brad's gonna be right there, like full steam ahead. Like, can you write this article? Let's do this piece, let's do this podcast. Wait, hang on a second. So you're, I mean, you're not old. No, I'm no, not old. We're not going to mention your name, your age here, but you're not old. And Brad's 10 years younger. I didn't Brad know that. Brad is a prodigy. Yes, he is. 10 years younger. Yeah, he is 10 years younger than me. He's 24 years old. And just I was going to say he looks well old ahead for, of his time. He looks old for 12. <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Very nice, Charlie. Good job. Yeah. Yeah, good job. So what? what's your main... What's your main issue right now? That's kind of what, you know, you, we talked to you before in the past and we talked criminal justice reform. We talked to you way, way back a long time ago about public stuff going on in, in Nashville there. Um, what, what's your thing right now? Yeah, it's been a really interesting year for me because up until moving to fee full time, I was somebody who was lobbying. I was an issue person. It was mostly criminal justice reform for the past couple of years. And now I'm more in a generalist role where the content I'm creating kind of spans the gap. I weigh in on a lot of subjects. Um, but I do I do still do a lot of advocacy actually with Americans for Prosperity um, in various states. So a lot of it kind of depends on the issues that we're focusing on there. But during this past session, I've done a lot around certificate of need repeal, which is um, really old, bad 
healthcare protectionist type mm -hmm. laws that basically say if people want to add a hospital or a new facility or a bed even, they have to come in and go before this governmental board and prove that they quote quote need it and then their competitors get to come in and argue why they don't. And it's just this way that government really restricts supply and of course basic supply demand shows that when you restrict supply, the price is going to go up. And so that's um, really a crony piece of, of law that we have to get off the books and we're working to do that across various states right now. So that's been big. I've also been really hyper focused on the PRO Act. Do you guys know about the PRO Act? Yes. Yes. No, I we, do not. We've talked about it. It is to me one of the most dangerous things coming down the pipeline right now. Yeah. I'm pretty hype on it because I, I listen, I'm a hustler. I like <laughs> to work and I love to make money. And I always have always had a ton of side contracts. This mm -hmm. has been a big thing. That's, oh, yes. 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 We now have I know talked what you're about talking this. about. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know the title. That's my well, and it's got a couple names because yeah. it passed in California under like another, like a state bill initially. Right. And and it was so Basically bad. the freelancer, anti-freelancer type of yes. thing. Yes. It's, it's this union-backed bill. Here's what happened is unions, um, you know, they had the country in like a lock grip for many, many decades and, and were in bed with government to do that. And you saw our movement come in and start passing things like right to work legislation in 27 states. And you also saw some really great pro bono litigation like the Janus case come in and succeed and say that unions can no longer force people to be a member. Now, I'm fine with unions. If you want to voluntarily sign up and be a member of a union and they're not using government to force you, Cool. Right. But that's not really how they function in the U.S. And so once we got these really good legal decisions, um, basically we saw that when people aren't forced to join a union, they mostly don't. <laughs> they're at their lowest membership participation rates in decades right now, um, and they're really they're really desperate for money. And guess who gets that money? Hmm. Democrats, right? They've often funded Democrat campaigns. So you see this huge push um, from the Democratic Party to basically push things through both at the state and federal level that essentially restrict independent contracting and say that if you want to independently contract. If you want to come to this hotel and paint the walls, they can independently contract you to do that because it's not their main function of business, but they could not independently contract you to clean the rooms or to work the front desk, right? And so it's this Without way where they're- providing health insurance and the whole thing of- Employees employee, status. Right. Yes. And the whole point is they want to force workers back into these really old school antiquated like nine to five type um, kinds of employment so that they can get a hold of their money and they want to be able to overturn right to work law so that you can be forced to join a union again and so the Biden administration is pushing this really hard they've not been able to get it through Congress but um, they're now trying to do it through the Labor Department like basically okay. issuing different rules and, and using executive orders so it's really very dangerous we see increasingly Americans are more and more so moving to freelancing and for good reason right you can make a lot more money you have much more freedom over your schedule you typically have a lot more autonomy over like just how you structure your day you know do you want to work nine to five or do you want to work ten to four and then take a break and go work out and eat dinner and then come back and work seven to nine like that should be up to people and I think that my generation like I'm not going back in an office come hell or high water I'll go clean toilets before I go sit in an office nine to five again I'm just mm -hmm. not doing it um, and I, I don't think there's a need to for most people in most kinds of roles and so being able to independently contract is something that has really freed people in many ways um, and financially freed people. Like I've been able to pay off a ton of debt because I would live off my W-2, my salary employment, and then I'd go contract and make you know tons of extra side money. And so the fact that they want to take this away from people, um, especially after they've shut down our economy, shut down small businesses, taken away people's childcare, shutting down the schools, and now you want to try to force them all back into these old offices, it's really just very corrupt. So I would say that's probably, if we could talk about one positive thing that happened from the pandemic, which was you saw 
now uh, new businesses skyrocket. People working for themselves, starting their own business. They're maybe they had the side hustle that they were kind of paying attention to, and now the, everything shut down. So they're like, okay, I'm going to put all my focus into this. What do I have to lose? Everything else is gone. Uh, so I, I would say maybe that's one positive we could take away from an, a god awful government shutdown. Really, it wasn't, I think it wasn't really a pandemic. It was a government shutdown. I think people maybe learning that they could be independent is uh, is pretty important and looking for ways to be independent. We also saw it with more school choice, things like that. People moving away from depending on the, the government for those things. And so we might see a few positive benefits come from the whole thing. Um, we, By the way, you'll have to pay attention to the time because both of our phones are right there. Just so you know. Oh, Charlie's got to watch. I got a watch. Okay. An, an old school. We're, we're fine. Oh, we're doing okay? All right. Yeah. I just passed down from a... me from across the room. <laughs> This was passed down from a boomer. So, oh I yeah, say, look I don't at that. Even know how to read? But yeah, it's, yeah. Got, it's got lines on it. It's that's <laughs> quite an antique you got there. <laughs> There's something wrong with your watch. Yeah. I'm gonna go to the road show. How do you soon. know how many calories you've burned? I, yeah. What the weather is? Yeah. How do you yeah. know anything? It's yeah, but does be... that track you everywhere you go, Charlie? I mean, because mine does that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. It's, uh, it's embedded in there. It's hidden. <laughs> I'm sure it I want to make sure we talk about this um, theory, theory of change or yeah. for change. Theory of change. Of change. So yeah. what's that all about? You're maybe going to be talking about that here in I, a little bit. Yeah, I am. It's, it's kind of my speech I've been giving across the country at various state conventions. I've gotten the opportunity to speak at several of them so far this year. And I, I put together this theory of change last year um, because one thing that I constantly have people ask me in my social media life is like, you've gone and you've passed all these bills, you've gotten these things done, like how do we do it? How do you do the work? Like you've convinced me it needs to be done, but now what, right? And I, and I understand that because when you're, when you're on the outside especially, which I used to be, you guys know I was back in the music industry when I first met you. And um, so when you're looking at the political system and trying to figure out like how do I actually get involved here and start making an actual difference, it can be a little bit hard to figure out. Um, and I think that it's important that for me, as we speak at all these conventions and we're coming together, as everybody knows, there's a lot of infighting going on uh, within our party at these conventions. They're kind of tense. Um, and my hope is that we actually can find ways to better partner with one another. And I think that it's really important that we, that we learn how to have these interpersonal relationships where you can disagree with people and still get things done. Um, and so my theory of change really revolves around some research out of Harvard that I found a couple years ago that shows you only need 3.5% of the population to affect long-lasting political change. And I think that's really exciting because so often issues feel so big. It's like, how could we ever possibly get there? But when you really look at historical movements um, that have succeeded, they found that any, any movement that, that got that 3.5% of the population support always achieved their outcomes, always got their goals. And they not only found that, but they also found that nonviolent civil disobedience was the most impactful way to affect change. You could have violent revolutions, but they did not typically result in long-lasting political change like nonviolent resistance did. And so I want to dig into that. I talk a lot about Martin Luther King Jr.'s six principles of nonviolence, which for people, if you never read into it, you should. Um, I've written for Fee about this, and I, I just think it's really incredible if you start digging into the mentality of what they did in the civil rights movement. It was, it was so intentional, it was so methodical, and I think there's a lot of lessons we can learn from that. Um, and then I also incorporate Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is a really important book I try to reread very frequently. It's, it's just, it's, it's so important, it's so simple, but when you read it, you're like, but these things are hard, right? It's, it's hard to do these things. They kind of go against a lot of your human nature, your instincts, but being able to utilize those tactics to actually form relationships with people, win them to your way of thinking, and then help them change their mind on big issues is, is really key. And if you can't do those very basic things in this movement, 
you, you're not going to be able to do anything, right? In order to pass a lot of bills, in order to get some of the things done that I've done, I had to work with people that I very much disagreed with on a multitude of issues, but who I agreed with on one or two, and we could come together and for that moment work on that issue and get it done. And then typically what happened is that in forming that kind of interpersonal relationship with them, they then start becoming more open to other views of mine. So I've seen some like very left-leaning people I worked with in criminal justice now become libertarian because of that exposure to me and because I didn't come in attacking them or like demoralizing them. I came in saying like, I care about this issue too. Let's partner on this, we're gonna get this done. And then them getting to know me, hearing my other ideas would slowly start to move them on other issues as well. So I want I want libertarians to be able to do that and to be really effect, effective people. And Eventually, the truth starts to make sense. You know, that's one thing. You know, as far as libertarians are concerned, is is we have the, the benefit is we have the truth on our side. You know, we're not trying to control anyone else's life, and so if you partner on that one issue, then that starts to make sense. I want to point to one thing you were talking about there, which um, in the theory, the theory of change, right? Um, is I think in this. I'm, I'm going to be positive today, I guess. I'm just taking away positives. White, White pill, pill Saturday. Saturday. There we White go. White pill Saturday. What's up? <laughs> okay. Um, I think another thing, maybe as this, in this information age, right, as we're growing into these uh, spaces, when we talk about decentralizing finance and all of these things, um, I think these next few generations, I think what we're doing is tearing down the barriers of what seemed so far out of reach. I mean, I remember growing up being like, oh my god politicians like those are i could never be one of those or i don't understand anything about finance i i could never do anything like that and now as we're starting to get into it it's really not that hard it's not that difficult you can do it you can be part of an organization you can go knock on doors you can be part of outreach you can be part of a structure you can help grow these types of things and essentially i mean that's what you've been doing for the better part of a decade right yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And one thing I noticed when I first got involved in politics is I, I kind of had that same star-studded sort of mentality. Like I thought people in office were just so much smarter than me and so mm -hmm. much more accomplished. And then you start meeting them and like, no offense guys, but like they're just, <laughs> they're really average people. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're normal the most people part. who decided to run for office yeah. and went towards that. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a few br brilliant people and they're like <laughs> Rand and some others, but mostly like they're just people. And, and so once you see that, you start to realize like I, I can make a difference. And, and when you really start to look at even history at the people who've made the biggest impacts I think they're just people they really were just people who were dedicated and who stayed the course and I think that's one of the most important things I've learned in politics is there's a lot of people who jump in and they have a lot of gusto and they're excited and then they lose a few times and it just knocks them out you know and, and they're totally out and they're kind of demoralized and they don't want to do it anymore and it's like no the people who end up winning and making the long-term difference are the people like Ron Paul who were just there for decades, quietly, nobody's paying attention to him, saying what he's been saying all along, and then it just clicks. And then it finally starts to actually kind of gain some momentum and get in front of people. And I think you're right that we're seeing that happen with COVID to an extent. Like I remember when we were doing school choice um, here in Tennessee, it was a bloodbath. We could not get Republicans to show up at the Hill and the Democrats were out in droves for the teachers unions. And it was, it was one of the hardest issues I've ever fought and lost consistently <laughs> on for the most part. We got one small program through, but now, look what's happened, you know? And so for the school choice advocates who have stayed on that issue and stayed on and stayed on, like Corey DeAngelis, I think is a great example. They're seeing the fruits of their labor start to come. And sometimes that, that zeitgeist moment has to happen. Mm -hmm. And then all the work, all the preparation, the foundation you've been laying comes into place. And then you can really start to get some very big things done. And so, in Tennessee, same thing happening with ballot access right now. I mean, they couldn't get out of subcommittee and they, they, then they couldn't yeah. get out of committee. And they finally, now they actually got uh, uh, it to the floor 
and they did lose still. So that's none of the loss there. Barely, just but barely. barely. It's yeah. only by, by one, two, vo- two he votes. He actually won. That one it's guy actually, told yeah. him he misvoted. Yeah. One guy misvoted. <laughs> so it technically, uh. well, I guess uh, legally it came down to two votes, but one guy misvoted. So really, they only lost by one vote. So that's pretty cool to see that progression uh, happen. So it's that's really often, encouraging. That's often how it happens with death penalty. We would lose and lose and lose. And so what people would see is like, I want a state every year. But they didn't see that I was also losing states every year, right? And so, like, New Hampshire, and they had been doing it before I started, too, the movement as a whole, but I remember the first year we lost by one vote. And it really, we, got, we had been vetoed, and we were trying to override the veto, and we lost that by one vote. And it was so sickening in one sense because you're like, you're so close, and you just did all this work, and now you have to do it again. And mentally, getting ready to prepare a campaign to do it again is hard, but we did it, and we rallied, and the next year we got it, and we won by one vote. And so it, it comes down to these, again, interpersonal relationships, your ability to move people, and the ability to just be consistent and stay at it and, and take the losses and keep gaining each time you come back. Um, one thing I wanted to ask about uh, before we end up having the wrap-up is this, non, this principle of nonviolence. Uh, this, uh, we saw some protests over the last couple of years somewhere. I, I, I heard they're mostly peaceful uh, as far as I could tell. But do you think that those were effective? Were they nonviolent enough? Were they peaceful enough uh, that it's going to create lasting change for that? Or is there a better way that we could be going about this? Yeah, I was very supportive of that movement. And I do think you did have a few bad actors that were the cause mm-hmm. of the disruption at those protests, which was unfortunate. But I also think the Black Lives Matter movement did not do its due diligence to get it under control. Um, I also think police let it happen. I think a lot of police wanted that look, wanted it to look out of control. They, police are not stupid. They use these things to lobby. They've since used it to lobby for massive pay increases mm-hmm. across this country. Um, and so I think that there was some intentional um, structures put in place to try to make the protests look bad. The media was, as a whole, not really on the side of the protest. There's this misconception that like, media is always in lockstep with the left. It's like, no, media is in lockstep with the donors and with the people that pay the, the big bills for the parties. And, and to be, as a whole, criminal justice reform is still kind of a fringe issue for many of them. And, and a lot of them really don't understand um, criminal justice reform and they don't understand the nuances to it. And so even in the reporting since these protests, we've seen a lot of people very uncritically say like, crime skyrocketing, because this is a sexy narrative for them. Mm-hmm. But is crime skyrocketing? Mm, the data is actually a lot more nuanced on that, which I wrote about at Fee as well. Um, but all that to say, I don't think the protests were effective for that reason. There was so much going against them. And the images that most people were left with was of looting and burning. Um, and some of that happened during the civil rights protest too. I think you'll always have some elements. This is kind of the, the classic like Malcolm X versus Martin Luther King Jr. theory, mm-hmm. right? Versus each other because Martin Luther King Jr. believed in nonviolence and, and incrementalism and basically respectability politics and kind of like slowly trying to affect change. And then you have people in the other camp, which I understand, especially if you're the victim of government, you're being oppressed, who want to come in and burn it to the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And I understand those instincts, but we know which one has better long lasting results. And I think for us as a criminal justice reform movement to really get back some momentum, we need to do better at policing those factions within this movement and really distancing ourselves from them because it, I thought some of that set back the movement significantly. Yeah, I felt like it was a really good opportunity for some good, I think it's been sad that throughout that whole time we haven't really seen any uh, real effective legislation that did anything at all. And I hope that eventually people will realize that the Democrats don't really have your back on any of that mm-hmm. stuff. And we haven't legalized marijuana. We, uh, we haven't really done any effective criminal justice reform uh, whatsoever. And it's, I haven't uh, seen Joe all, Biden release anybody from prison that he helped put there. I know. <laughs> not a one. Yeah, not a 
one-on-one. And uh, what I hope is that the Libertarian Party can can make sure it does a good job presenting itself as the party that would actually do these things because we actually care about those things, unlike the other parties who really just want to win votes from people. Yeah, you know? and it would be so easy. And this is, I mean, this is another problem with the BLM movement is they're so unfocused, right? And their demands aren't really reasonable. Like, we're not going to defund the police. We can't even get qualified immunity overturned. Yeah. Like, come on. But pick a couple issues, like get no-knock warrants banned, remove civil asset forfeiture. You can do some of these things at state level, and, and they're not going to, but the libertarians can. And I think mm-hmm. if the parties and people within them want to like really pick a way to advance our movement, I think the best thing we could do is, is stop focusing on the infighting, stop focusing even on elections, go in, form some coalitions, and get some major policies passed that's happened in Tennessee. Justin Cornett's been doing some really mm-hmm. great work here. He's, he's gotten no-knock warrants banned. In the state, there's organizations that have millions of dollars a year doing criminal justice reform in the state that have not done that. And that's a huge thing to like hang your hat on and come into the community and say. That was on a volunteer basis. On a volunteer basis. Yes. yes. Like phenomenal. But now he can go into inner city Memphis and say, hey, I'm a libertarian and I care about this issue. And here's what I went and did about it. And I'd like to now do this issue. Do you want to work with me? And that is how you actually convert people to libertarianism. It's about actually having solutions to their problems. It's about persuasion. It's about showing up in their communities and really um, having the ability to affect real change. So I want to see more of that. And I think people should be encouraged because it's possible you can get that done. Get, now, Rand Paul put in the Justice for Breonna Taylor Act, which would have outlawed no-knock raids federally across the board. Um, and then he was later attacked by the same people he was trying to help. So get intimidated. Or I guess yeah. intimidated, not really attacked. Um, so what's happening there? It is, it's such tribalism and it's really disappointing. You know, I've seen this uh, for years against people like Rand Paul specifically where they just see an R next to their name and they don't know the difference. And I used to be one of these people. So I, I want to be clear. Like I did not know the difference in Mitt Romney and Ron Paul in 2012. <laughs> yeah. I remember being one of those people who was like, get over it. Just vote for the Republican. We just got to get Obama out. Like what's the difference guys? He's, so uh, yeah. I was an He's idiot. A terrorist. But like, but most people are idiots, right? Like most yeah. people don't know the difference in, in a Rand Paul and a Lindsey Graham. And so so they don't pay attention to the policies. They don't pay attention to the legislation. And it is unfortunate. That's a bad, bad symptom of our political sickness in this society, I think, where people have no ability to think critically, no ability to really think outside the two-party system. And, and they're just told, like, that's your enemy and you should hate them. And they're against you and they don't care about human rights and they don't care about your basic liberties. And it just creates this um, this world where we don't talk to each other. And if you actually sit down and talk to people on the left or right, you'll find that they're usually not monsters. Right. Um, you'll find that usually you have more in common than you think. And, and again, as somebody who got the opportunity to do this a lot, working on the death penalty, I felt really privileged. I had a lot of like real, real far left people that I came to really know and like and respect. And, and, and it was mutual. And I remember even one of them at one point sitting out the head of the ACLU in Colorado. And she was like, yeah, I texted the group chat tonight and I told everybody to come to drinks because the lobbying team wasn't sure they wanted to meet you because you're a conservative. And she's like, but I texted them after about an hour with you. And I said, she's really nice. You all should come. <laughs> and it made me laugh, but like also kind of sad, you know, like mm-hmm. that, that's sort of the mentality of like, I don't even know if we want to get a drink with you because we associate you with this party or this movement. And like, we're going to assume that you're a bad person. And, and that happens on both sides. So the more that we can break down those barriers and actually get to know people who are different than us and actually listen to what they're really saying versus what we assume they think, the better off we'll be. And I would say that's partly our fault. Uh, well, I won't, I won't include you, but my fault. It's partly my fault. We need to do a better job of messaging, talking to people, getting that out there, and, and honestly going around and just communicating with folks on a human level and, and not 
be so divisive in our own right. So we're really bad at that, by the way. We're <laughs> we're pretty divisive. But hey, that's what gets the most plays on TikTok. So what are you gonna do? <laughs> what are you gonna you do? Know? What are you gonna do about it's it? not my fault. All right, that I just put out is. dumb bleep episodes. That's all. <laughs> you know, that's the stuff that does the best on TikTok. So um, I I wanted to see. Uh, well, how much time do we have? I think we've still got. We're good. Do we have a minute? Yeah, yeah we, we got, got a okay. few minutes before she needs to. So. <laughs> You had some, you talked about CON laws earlier, and what that got me thinking on was just how important it was to actually talk about things that we can all agree on, you know, and that way there's not really a, a fight between the person that you're talking to. The best, the best results we've had in talking to Bernie supporters who were mad because it says BernieLies.com at the top of our <laughs> banner right there uh, was we talked to them about healthcare and we just went to CON laws right there and they're like that's ridiculous yeah. I can't believe that so have you had any other successes on things that people mutually agree on that you can have discussions with on those things yeah it's really interesting actually a lot of the policies of libertarians like like Charlie was saying earlier like they just make sense, right? They just, they have, if, if any data pointed to another system or another way of thinking, like I'd probably be over there, but the facts are on our side. And, and I think that when you can actually sit down and have a longer form conversation with people, like you'll find there's so much you can agree on, but school choice is a huge one. Um, most people are really not familiar with what that means at all. But when you sit down and explain like, here's how it would function, here's how it would look, like they're really all in, right? Um, I think that within healthcare, we all agree that our healthcare system is super messed up. It's, it's a terrible system, but too many people think that it's because of capitalism. And they have no idea all of the tons and tons of healthcare policy that got laid for decades to lead up to this. Um, so if you can sit down and tell them about things like certificate of need laws, or even if you can sit down and explain what other models might look like, like here's how direct primary care functions. And here's why this is a free market capitalist alternative and like here's why this would actually work like they immediately grab onto that and they're like yeah we'd like to try that if you talk to them about why drug prices are so high right really start digging into the meat of this i find that typically people are like yeah that's terrible we should get rid of that you know they just but the, usually what they hear instead is like that we just don't want to take care of sick people mm -hmm. right so yeah it's really digging into the policies but this is why i love the liberty movement is like our policies are fleshed out um, unlike the GOP, who really is just usually kind of a no, 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 we're not doing this to a progressive idea, we're saying, no, 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 your idea would fail because of this, but this idea is why it would actually work, and let me explain it to you and like tangibly give you an alternative. And people really grab onto that. They just haven't typically been given other ways of thinking about things or like other solutions. And most people, what I found, are not dogmatic in the, in the solutions they want to their problems. They just haven't heard anything else. All they hear is the Democrats' ideas, and, and they don't know anything past that. So getting in front of them, um, being able to have those conversations is key. I think criminal justice reform is obviously a big a big thing that can bring a lot of people together because it's just so corrupt. And then getting even you know more um, detailed under that. But things like qualified immunity. When people hear about that, they're like, wait. <laughs> why is that on the books you know it, why would that be there and and they innately understand that that's corrupt and that that's a huge problem so i think that we could easily pick you know one policy issue under each kind of umbrella like one under labor policy one under health care one under criminal justice reform one under education and just like go all in each year and, and build coalitions around that and really try to get in front of the people who are impacted um because those are the best voices you know when we were doing death penalty work i would get up and testify but more importantly I would have murder victims' family members there to testify. I would have former cops. I'd have former judges, former prosecutors. You always have to get former because they won't speak out when they're mm. still in office. But afterwards, they'll talk about how corrupt it is and how it impacts them. And having those voices stand up was actually what would move the needle a lot more quickly uh, at state legislatures. And so we have to find the people who are currently being hurt by these policies and empower them to tell their stories as well. well 
I'll, I'll admit that I didn't know what qualified immunity was until everything happened with BLM. Yeah. I didn't know about it. I didn't either, yeah. actually. Um, I didn't know that I was a Supreme Court, you know, precedent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, there's so many like niche kind of yeah. things like this, right? And then you find them and you're like, oh, that's why things are messed up. You that's know? horseshit. It, it's yeah. like, like, that's ridiculous. It's like not knowing that uh, 10 years ago, a hospital had to get permission to put a new MRI machine in, exactly. there, in there, you know, in Tennessee. I think they got rid of that uh, in the last few years. We've but, got a couple of them, not yet, but they do still have some. Oh, yeah. Here. My yeah. wife spent a year on one one time because she works for HCA. And uh, that's it's, it's ridiculous. She had another coworker who spent a year and they lost it. They weren't able to put up the building that they were wanting to put up. It's, it's an insane so thing. Everyone on the podcast starts making fun of us because we talk about CON all the time. Good. But it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever well, seen. Well, there's a, a whole, I mean, there's a litany of healthcare regulations. It's, oh, un- yeah. it's unbelievable. I think it's probably only second to banking as far as the number of regulations. <laughs> right. But it's, it's almost completely opposite of capitalism. It's, it's not even funny. So, right. so um, first off, how often do you guys do the podcast? So we make sure everyone tunes in. When is that? Yeah, so we, le- we release the base brief, which is me and Brad, every Wednesday morning. And then I also release the what I call OG episode of Based <laughs> on the last Sunday of each month. Um, so that's more of a comprehensive deep dive into a big policy issue where I help people understand, like, this is why this got so messed up. Let's trace back the history. Let's look at what they did. Um, so that's once a month. But then Brad and I are every week with Base Brief, and that's more of a news type. Those podcast. are both under the same feed, right? Both all under the same base feed. Politics. Yep, Based okay. Politics. You can find it all. Uh, but we'd love for people to tune in and, and base-politics.com for the website where they can find all the content too. All kinds of great, great articles on there from people who we've been stealing content from for years now. So everyone just <laughs> needs to go check that out. All right. And I would I call think, them friends, but. Yeah, you know. yeah. We love you guys. This is a great show and we appreciate that you're out here. So you all right. Your content. <laughs> Hannah, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks, guys.